0: Welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features individuals that dive into their passion, take a leap of faith, and follow their dreams. I have my good friend, Julian Raleigh, who is the founder and CEO of Harlem Blue Beer Company. What's going on, brother?
1: I am good, sir. I'm good. So uh, a privilege and honor to be with you. It's always good to chop it up with you.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, man. We met ages ago, man. I think I met. Mean, we met one of one of my events, and we've been connecting mm-hmm. organically <laughs> uh, ever right. since, you know. So you know, you, I also appreciate you sponsor one of my events.
1: Of course, yo. You know, tr- appreciate the hustle, man. You know, we, we we uh uh we'll get into it. But that's one of the things that uh, why I started the company and what I think our company stands for but it's all about grinders hustlers and dreamers so uh uh you know like minds and and all that so so now it's uh it's an easy kindred spirit
2: yeah
0: man okay okay before we get to the and blue and how you were able to find a beer company a brother finding a beer company I, to, mm-hmm. I want you to walk me through your journey like you know i know you're from boston am i right mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah don't hold it against me
0: <laughs> no <Nah>, i'm not holding <laughs> it against you man <laughs> And you went to Tough University, right? Is it Tough? Yes, sir. Um, what did you major in at Tough?
1: The Tough University.
0: Oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> the Tough University.
1: Where Uh, I did poli sci, political science.
0: Oh, okay. Why? Why you chose that major?
1: Um, you know what? I, I'm honest. I don't think I really knew. I um, it just was what everybody was doing. I started out thinking I was gonna be not necessarily engineer, but I thought I had a math game with me,
2: mm. and
1: uh, I took a finite math course that first year, and me and my boy, together, our score didn't reach 100. I was like, you know what? F this. this, this. <laughs> let,
2: me,
1: let me switch it up, um, and I went poly sci So I was thinking law. I was thinking something along those lines. I played on the basketball team. a bunch of kids on the team that was uh, poly sci I just... so. I didn't have a good reason, but it just seemed like kind of what what was happening.
0: Okay. Oh, you! I didn't know you played the basketball. Oh, what position? Yeah. Uh, I was like a
1: off guard guard.
0: You know. Oh, shooting I, guard. Okay.
1: They put me down there low against somebody that was bigger than me. I'm uh I'm all a six three. I ain't really supposed to be down low, but every once in a while I had to do that too.
0: Okay, posting up, <laughs> posting mm-hmm. up people. All mm-hmm. right. So, poly sign major. What did you do yep. after uh, after college? Uh,
1: so after college, <clears throat> so look, I'm inner city Boston. Grew up kind of all the inner city stories coming up, and and was blessed enough to go to a couple good schools. Uh, that wasn't really what most of my friends and family were were seeing. The I always thought I would stay in the Boston area. Manhattan seemed like crazy to me. It just was so big and like impersonal all the stories that you would hear about Manhattan neighbors didn't know each other. You didn't talk to nobody a million people on the subway And, and to some extent that's all true. Um, and now I've lived here 25 plus years. Um, but my girl from college is a native New Yorker. Um, I'm sure that had a little more influence on me than I'd like to admit. But <laughs> you came
2: here for your girl, huh?
1: <laughs> a little bit. That obviously, as as the story always is, it didn't end up happening that way. So uh, it was uh, that 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 purpose was misplaced. Um, and I had put in just before Manhattan. I put in
0: hmm,
1: eight, ten months in Atlanta. I tried to give ATL a shot. In what was of- that like? I mean I like it it's pretty, it's nice it's all that kind of stuff but i um i'm a i'm a northeast friction kind of dude, and it just was a little too uh too, too country clean and easy for me
0: oh so, okay. you know just
1: for me for me personally it just didn't i i think i like being a little bit of the mellow dude in the in the in the wild crazy northeast down there i felt uh i felt myself going in different directions and it's uh you know you can get distracted down there i mean there's a lot of a lot of uh, a beautiful things. It's a good, it was a good, it was a great experience. I enjoy it. It just wasn't, uh, I needed to come back up north. It was somewhere. too safe, it huh? Boston. It was
0: too relaxed. It was it like. Was
1: too, yeah, it was too relaxed. It's too, too clean. Like, you know, everybody, you know, you can't leave a house without your car looking right. And you, uh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta gear up all the time. And, you know, the Boston, I didn't grow up like that in Boston. Um, In New York was, uh was also a little bit more, uh, just sort of rough and just go, man. just get the hustle done, get however you got to get there. Uh, so that was a little bit, that was more what I was looking
0: for. Okay. So, okay. Followed mm-hmm. your girl to New York. So, so, so <laughs> yes, yeah. so I come to New
1: York. Um, the uh, And I went sort of, and I was begrudgingly thinking about law school, but I wasn't a hundred percent. I've always been kind of entrepreneurial minded, I guess. Uh, I don't know the best soundbite for that, but, Again, growing up in Boston, I've actually been on my own since I was 16, even though I got tons of family and friends that I, I count as loving and blessings in my, in my life.
2: Mm-hmm. My
1: great-grandfather and my grandfather, uh, my grandfather was born in Barbados, but kind of would more or less call himself in Boston. And my great-grandfather was in Barbados, and they came over and started a furniture moving company in Boston. So I was always around kind of entrepreneurial hustle there my um, kind of extended family but also has a jazz club in Boston been there since 1946 continuously family owned black owned um, I was always around that kind of energy you know I had a bunch of like hustlers and kind of street people in my in my life and right. in a bad way just sort of like people that just went out and got it done uh-huh. so I had that kind of mental um, and by the time I came to New York I think I was just like, well, I'm going to just figure it out. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but I'll just figure out the hustle. So,
0: so you didn't uh, enter corporate America at all?
1: No, I did, though. So that's I'm kind of setting that part up a little bit because I, uh, I knew I had to have a job, obviously. I had to have some paper. I had to have something steady. And while I was in college, one thing that I would always advocate, and when I speak to younger folks and you know, I talk to college kids and to even law students, I did go to law school eventually as well. Um, internships. I killed it with internships. So when I was at Tufts, I did four internships, three at like big firms in Boston uh, and always was caught up in that and just sort of spending time with it and listening and just trying to be a a sponge and pick all that up. I came to New York and found one of my old roommates from Tufts, got him to find me a basically his mom's crib and they had an extra bedroom. She let me crash there. Gave her a little bit of money on a monthly, but it was a super sweet deal. Um, and I did that. I, found, I got an in, uh, not an internship, a paralegal gig at a big law firm in Midtown. Okay. So you know they didn't really care for too much of anything as long as you could read and write and went to a decent school. That, that, that sort of put me in there. So um, so I, I, I humped it for two years, paralegal, and made you know decent money by by. Uh, New York standards. I wasn't Willie at all, but I, I did that for two years and decided to take the LSAT went to law school at Fordham law here in the city at, um, in Lincoln center. And then what did I do? Then I did two years as a law clerk in a federal court downtown, um, in okay. New York. And, and that's when the, the entrepreneurial juices started kicking in even more. I mean, I, I had,
0: Well, you didn't care for law? You were like, this is not it?
1: Well, no, because I was still doing law, but I set up my own shop down in Soho with a couple other dudes, and we had like a a, a relatively sexy, like 5,000 square foot loft, pool table, big screen TV. We used to have fight parties and stuff, and in the back we had a post facility for making films. We were all doing some version of entertainment law, uh, mostly TV, film, Uh, Art, I did a little bit with the art galleries and and fine artists and photographers and stuff like that. I produced, I got a little bit of, um, like, independent film producing in my arsenal. This is while
0: you were still practicing or, you know, doing a local art?
1: Yeah, practicing, yep. So I was down in Soho for almost eight years, seven, eight years. Um, I produced with MTV, with HBO, with my own personal uh, as a producer. And repped a bunch of, uh, you know, nothing huge, but I got a chance to work with almost every studio in LA and a lot of independent producers in New York, um, writers, directors, and all that kind of stuff. So I, so I experienced all of that from a so real- So what were you
0: producing? What were you producing?
1: Just like, just sort of stuff that I felt, like I've always appreciate storytelling. I don't think I'm the best at it or anything, but I always thought that it's, uh, it's the way that we socialize as a people. Right. So, um, you know, just on watching TV and in a new world, all the stuff that we can read off of our phones. But uh, so with MTV, we did a project called Hood Hoops, which was kind of street basketball's influence on on uh, the NBA. And we had dozens of, of big name ball players that we had in the project. And uh, and that went well. And then we had a three way deal with Blockbuster, MTV and Coca-Cola. And uh, then Blockbuster went sideways they sort of started losing their, their speed and uh and mtv did a changeover with their people and stopped doing direct to video projects and so you know i uh it didn't end up the way i wanted it to end up but not for the people on the creative side were fantastic it came out great it just it just sort of lost some speed and that that stuff just sort of happened and a documentary over at hbo with uh these three brothers out of newark who are real good dudes who I still count as friends, but they had a book called The Pact that I was an attorney repping them back in the day. Uh, they they grew up together in high school, formed a pact to become doctors and they each became, I think uh, I dead heard dead dead of that. Dead.
0: You produced yeah.
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. They, they're real good dudes. Um, and so we did a documentary on them as well that, that sold and did well. Bill Duke was a producer. Uh, we had a few folks in there and, and, uh, they just, they just real good dudes. So we, so we worked at, so, uh, I, um, had a hand in that and, uh, you know, a couple of small like shorts and stuff that we did with the festivals and, um, and those kind of things. So, so that was, uh, that was that phase. And, uh, so then wait they, a second, you were doing all
0: this while still being a law clerk and you had, you said you had a lounge in Soho, right?
1: Well, no, so I had stopped the law clerk. So the law clerk was two years. I did a little bit of, a little bit of freelance on the side while law clerking, but that was, uh that sort of tied into a little bit. I I actually had worked a little bit with Stacy Spikes when he was starting the urban world um, back in the day. So this is taking it back to, I don't know, 96, 97, 98, somewhere in like 98.
2: Okay. Um,
1: But, uh, but then I stopped clerking and then I was doing the producing. So the producing was going into the two thousands. We're probably in Oh three Oh four, somewhere in there. Um, And uh, so that was that I had a, I had a, my first born, born in 06. So right around 06, I had told myself that I wanted to start like my own shit, like for real, for real, uh, not as a like a lawyer. I was a little bit entrepreneurial because it was my own thing then, but I wanted to get out of the service business and wanted to really just sort of start something with a widget and like make some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, started, you know, and I wanted to do that before I started having kids. Didn't completely work that way, but right around the same that same year they uh they sold our building in soho gave us a little bit of a buyout we all had to keep it moving i was already we all kind of had plans for stuff that we were going to keep doing and uh so i set up a shop over in the west village with a couple good friends who were advertising dudes um and we were we were playing around with some some brand management, and just sort of looking at some things. And the whole time, I was just trying to figure out what you know what's what's the future look like for me. Like, what would I do if I wasn't afraid to fail? What would I do if I could just grab my balls and jump? You know what I mean? Just sort of take a chance. It was I was ready to you know bet on myself, kind of. I
0: right. Think
1: folks <laughs> use a lot. And uh, so somewhere in 2010, 2011 right up in there is when I had the idea for Harlem blue and just sort of thinking, how can we marry crafting and community from a Harlem point of view? And so that's the, uh, that's what got me. What sparked that idea?
0: What sparked that idea to, uh, uh,
1: mm, I mean, again, it's a combination of storytelling. It's a combination of kind of where, where I'm from mentally and kind of, uh, where I thought my spirit animal lived. Like I just sort of wanted to, just hanging and seeing Harlem. I guess I just sort of wanted to. Were you was, living I, in
0: Harlem around that time?
1: I was. I was. I was uh, the. I was inching my way up more and more. I used to live on ninety six in Riverside. Then I went up into Morningside uh, Heights, so up near Columbia. Then we shifted over to Central Harlem at one sixteen, and I don't know. I lived two other spots. I've lived like four spots. Three okay. spots, three spots in Harlem. Um, the, uh, but yeah, I was looking for something that was comparable to what Brooklyn was doing. Granted, I don't, I usually check people on comparing Brooklyn and Harlem because Brooklyn's a whole borough, Harlem's just a little tiny neighborhood. You know what I mean? Right. But, the, but because the rep, because it's the the black mecca, because it's you know because it's Harlem, it's, it it has a big shadow and and it gets compared to everybody. But the. Um, my initial thinking was we need to make some shit from harlem like i wanted to have a product that we that was artisanal that would show our energy from harlem and that's uh that's when a late night conversation with my boy jared uh, who's also from boston from cambridge area uh, we were chopping it up and and somewhere along the way a google search got me into to beer and and craft oh wow beer. <laughs> that's where it all started yeah
0: serious so you didn't, <laughs> you didn't know night. nothing about the beer industry you know, not, you just not, basically not in any real way. said it. Yeah.
1: I said not in any real way. You know what I mean? Like what I did, what I felt. Uh, so I already said I, my fam's got this this jazz bar in Boston, uh, mm-hmm. in South End. I bartended all through college. I've always felt that the bar as a as a meeting place is kind of the most democratic place on the planet. Mm. So to me, in a lot of ways, and my wife will say this too, that it's kind of all lo- roads lo- uh, all roads lead to Rome mm-hmm. in that I like I like the socializing aspect of everybody being able to come together and just chill. It doesn't matter what your job is, what your business card says, what color your credit card is. Like, you can just walk into a bar and bullshit. You can talk right. about you see, sports, you know, girls flirting, like whatever you want to talk about, you can do it. And you can do that anyway. I don't care if you're in Brazil, South Africa, like, Italy, like, I feel comfortable going into any bar, any place, and I know I'm going to be able to chop it up with somebody. So, so that part of it is just me. Uh, that's me. Like, I, I love that, that social side of it. So in that sense, it was perfect for me. I didn't have the chops for, like, making commercial beer by any sense. I had just started trying to play around with some home brewing and trying to get a feel for that. But I knew what I liked and what I didn't like, and I, and I knew the beer bar game. So I just went and, you know, found me a brewer with commercial experience who I could, you know, who I could get to make the taste the way I wanted it to taste and and started rocking.
0: Okay. So leave me, you know, from okay, you came up with an idea. You said you found your brewer to like actually launching and, and becoming a viable, you know, startup beer company. You know, what was right. your process?
2: Uh
1: Alright, so you take me back a little bit now. So we in twenty eleven, maybe twenty twelve. What I told myself back then, and I think it's still true, I I I needed three things. Of course I need to be able to make good beer. Like I'm I pride myself on being kind of a everyday dude and got a decent amount of friends. I'm no I'm no social broker level, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, but I, you know, I value good people. And if I say, yo, Cal, I want you to taste this beer. It can't be bullshit. So it had to be like, I knew I had to make good beer. I needed a brand story that like had some stickiness to it. I needed a story that could, that could vibe.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and then, uh, and then the pipeline, I needed distribution. So I mm-hmm. knew I needed those three things. So the first was finding somebody that could make the beer the way I wanted it to taste. I knew which styles I wanted I found two different dudes and we built out a, a a garage in brooklyn this kid's aunt's garage nothing crazy but just like a little small pilot batch system where we can make uh decent volumes of beer for for you know they were just like five and ten gallon batches but just to play around with the recipes and see if i could If I could get to where I wanted to get simply by saying, turn left here, turn right there. Mm -hmm. I like this taste, don't like that taste. So that was number one. Uh, I already sort of knew my name. Uh, Harlem Blue was just sort of, just sort of kind of came together with me thinking about this this folklore in Harlem. The back during Prohibition, there was a brownstone speakeasy that made their own house brew. Okay. They tapped a new keg of the brew they put a blue light on our front to let everybody know.
0: Oh, dope. So,
1: yeah, so to me, that was almost like some Atlanta, like, Krispy Kreme shit. Like, it was like, you know, just to be bold enough to say, I make great beer and I want you to know about it, put your light on out front. And even during Prohibition when it's a little bit lawless and you ain't supposed to be doing it and you're like, F that, I'm still going to do it. Like, to me, that rep- represented everything that I wanted our brand to be, a little bit of reverence. Mm-hmm. a little bit of from the street brownstone up in harlem um and serious about our craft like we make good beer and i want you to know about it and so we want to make sure you recognize so that was always so i felt like i had those things um in the right pocket uh and then distribution was relatively easy after that because i sort of i had the story my beer was solid and uh And I was lucky enough to have a couple different distributors say say that they would rock with us.
0: Oh, wow. So did you uh, self-finance all this? Nah,
1: I mean, I used to think that I could. I mean, my my paper was not that long at all. (laughs) Right. I quickly found out that wasn't going to happen. And Mm -hmm. I bled through, you know, entrepreneur stuff, especially for anyone that's listening who's thinking about getting into it. And presumably a lot of it's... uh, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Like, you know, it's real, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have to miss some meals, you're gonna collect some bottle caps and do the whole thing. Um, I uh, and I had, you know, little uh one little baby at the time, I've had a second one like three years ago. Um, but what I so what I did is the first layer is always in the bootstrap scenario, which this certainly was, you drain everything you got, then you go family and then friends. Mm. Um, My friends had longer pockets than my family, um, but, you know, I feel blessed by any and everyone that put some paper in. So it was a it was a uh, it was a collective process for sure. But, you know, I had I had friends that were bankers and lawyers and doctors and stuff in the city. Um, So I went around and just gave my spiel to everybody. This is what I'm thinking. This is how we're going to go get this. And, you know, just try to piece it together with bubble gum and toothpicks. And just like we so we just sort of made it happen. So it was. Uh, and I and I'm proud of the fact that, you know, most of those folks are, are young black men.
0: I was about to house. ask people of black color, black are you men. getting money from people of color.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to overstate it. It's a hard <laughs> and it's not even a statement against Not like I'm way past even though I've certainly had my moments, but I'm way past thinking that it's uh we could always do more for ourselves, right? We want to be active in our own rescue. I think it would be great if we always uh, supported each other to the fullest. Right. But with that said, I had plenty of support and sometimes, you know, sometimes someone doesn't can't put cash up because they just can't put cash up. Right. Not everybody is what they look like from outside and vice versa. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe you just didn't strum the guitar the right way. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, didn't make me feel it so i'm not gonna be there like you know what i mean so right. i gotta be honest and have some self-awareness and say yo i just didn't hit him the right way or or heard the right way it just didn't happen so so um i take the blessings for what they are the ones that didn't didn't and you just keep pushing but i uh by and large i had a lot of great support and still do today i mean we still raising we still growing our growth rate is real solid and uh and we probably will always be looking for money to some degree. I mean I don't I don't know that we're ever completely self financed because you're always growing trying to go further. So you know, I had a conversation with an institutional um uh entity yesterday talking about some things that we're looking at for three years from today. So so there's a lot of like there's always places where you need to get more paper. Um but uh so no so the support has been there a lot of um how many
0: people uh, you I think you were re- get to like buy into, you know, Holland Blue and, and drop money?
1: Say it one more time.
0: How many people did you get to like, you oh, know, invest? Uh,
1: um twelve. Okay. Twelve twelve non family. Okay. So, you know. I mean, I don't know if that's big or little. It's You know, it's right. big that's a me. good
0: number. Are they uh, happy now? Are they happy with growth? And are they happy where things are?
1: Yeah, it's all, all all love is still there. So, you know, as far as I can tell, you know, they respond to my emails and my phone calls and stuff, right. I see in the streets. Um, which is one of the things for me personally, it had to be people like that's my check and balance, right? So I can't be bullshitting people because I'm going to see you again. If nothing else on the holidays or when we hang in or out in the streets. like I can't i can't do you dirty so it it keeps me tight and all of my friends are smarter than me you know they all good school dudes good jobs um pay attention they read stuff um
0: you have to produce any kind of report for them like i want to see the yep. numbers
1: yeah yeah i send around uh i send around quarterly
0: okay. um,
1: all that yeah, yeah so no 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 it's uh we try to keep it as as real and functional as possible and um yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that keeps me in check. That keeps keeps the game going, and it allows me to remember why I got in this. And that you know, we're trying to go big. Like, you know, I'm. Thankfully, I've got a lot of patience. I know it's a long, a long haul. I think as a black male as an entrepreneur, just as a black male business leader, CEO, whatever. I think there's always. Uh, challenges mm-hmm.
0: as a black male
1: chasing capital, but right. but I mean, I think everybody's got challenges, like women have challenges, Indian women have challenges, like you know spanish kids have, like everybody's got challenges, right, so it is what it is uh gay straight like everybody has got challenges, so I you know you just play the cards as they don't and keep it moving um i uh I feel very blessed with what with what I've had so far and 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 how i how I attack the day.
0: Mhm. Now, you said you're married, right? So how did your yep. wife support you in your entrepreneurial endeavor, especially starting you know, something from scratch. You didn't really know yeah. a about, the, you know, the beer industry. What was when you told her that you were about to start a beer company? <laughs> <laughs>
2: what did right, you, right, right, What right. was her reaction?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think that the uh the net net is she supported me 100%. The uh I think it's always I've been with my wife for a long time. Mm. So we've been together for for a minute. Um,
0: So she kind of knew who you...
1: She just knows how I get down. She Mm. knows that I'm a dreaming...
0: Mm. Is she she like you or is she just the opposite of you?
1: She is probably the opposite. Mm. I mean, I I don't want to speak too much for... I think that most people who know us, like she's mad smart, sweet, um... Midwestern mm. right there. That's already the opposite. Of right? The, uh, but no, she's a, she's a, she's, she's a great, um, uh, she's great in every way and she's, but she's a much more grounded kind of fundamental, but she's also an actress.
2: So okay.
1: I'm about to say she's grounded and fundamental. Like she's a dreamer too. She's, she's an actress. She went to U Michigan undergrad, London school, um, studying acting, came to new york and went to a great conservatory for two years with a big acting coach and has a lot of training you know i mean she's a sister in the industry and has you know they have whatever challenges they have but uh but with that said she she grinds it and puts it in and does a lot of work but uh so so the short answer she was very supportive thankfully i think that we both have a we'll grind now and floss later kind of thing. And, you know, mm. I've still lived, I still we've lived well, like I, I'm not going to, it's all relative, it depends on what you do, but we do a little bit of traveling. We did you know, we've had, we've had uh, we're comfortable. We're not flossing. And I think that, that's, you know, they, one of the things they say a lot about entrepreneurs, aside from how much time you put into it is that, you know, uh, you got to be a person that's willing to live like most people won't, in mm. the future, you can live like most people can, not mm. and like, like you just sort of, you know, it's, it's that kind of grind. Like,
2: right. you know, it's,
1: uh, um, I just, I just believe in the vision, and, and it's not, a, it's not even a paper chase. I think if you go in it for money, for me personally, I don't think that can get you there. I think it's got to be, you know, you gotta map it out on either how much market share you're gonna tackle or what sales benchmarks you're going to get or what kind of um uh i don't know market reaction you're going to get like you got to find other benchmarks to look at if you're just trying to um put a couple more zeros in the column for your checkbook like that's i think these i think you'd lose energy on that real quick right because you you know as much as you come up with a plan it's really about execute fail and pivot like that's mm. for your entrepreneurship if not business in general like Execute fast, fail, pivot. Like, it's, nothing works all the time. Whatever that, now that failure might be small, that failure might be big, but whatever it is that didn't come exactly the exact way you wanted it to, all right, reassess, pivot that shit, figure it out, let's keep it moving. And I'm- if you, people to do that well, and I'm, that's a continual process for me as well, but, you know, try not to overthink it. Try not to, because that's what a lot of us do. I count myself in that is like, think about shit forever and ever and ever, you know, how many ways can it go wrong? And, you know, get caught up in the paralysis of overanalysis. and you, you, spend it all the time thinking about it. Like, nah, just do it. Like, yo, just go, give it some good thought, believe in it. You know, once you get some sites lined up, pull the trigger and like, let's go. And then after that, you know, study long, gets... study wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Right. So, so that's, so I think that's the way it is. But yeah, she was, she was kidding spirit on that level and she thought that beer sales, in particular, back to my like the uh, thoughts on the uh, what the bar as a as a social touch point and, mm-hmm. and meeting place is. She she knew that that kind of fit for me. So I think she thought that this was just a good look, better than you know i don't know i didn't have some crazy thoughts in my head in the past. <laughs> dude you a <laughs>
0: cancer like me so i, I totally understand you oh know. yeah oh, that's what it is okay yeah, yeah. so you always, you know, you always coming over you, you probably got a million ideas in your head you're like you had to like nah <laughs> right i'm gonna, I'm gonna stick yeah, to this one to turn
2: that shit
1: off. <laughs> right yeah I I, I I used to keep a notebook next to the bed i ain't kept it there in a couple of years because i would just put too much stuff down but but yeah so that's you know so that's that's the way she looked at it i think i think she's good with it you know she uh you
0: know, it's... Uh, you guys yeah, have so, I mean, so how so many no, kids now? It. Like two kids? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, we got
1: a boy and
0: a girl. Yep. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, man. So, yeah. so I well, mean, I'm, how many how many times... You said pivot, right? How many times do you think mm-hmm. you pivoted for Harlem, for Harlem Blue in terms of what you oh, thought wow. was going to happen, didn't happen, uh, you had to figure something else out?
1: Yeah. I mean... If it's 10, it's 100. Like, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the level of the pivot. Mm-hmm. I mean, this week, this week I pivoted and it's only
0: Tuesday. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you're always pivoting, bro. You're always pivoting, yeah, huh? It's
1: like you stay pivoting. But it can be something small from like, I want an intern to be able to do, I don't know, data analysis and social media programming and come to find out it's better off separating the two Mm. or I need my distributor rep to, I don't know, uh, carry samples of both of our current beer styles with them and hit these three neighborhoods hard on Tuesday because there's a, there's an event coming up in the following week. That's going to give us some buzz in that neighborhood with some people that I know come to find out they really should just push this one style and it'd be better if they hit it on Friday because it's it fits for these three accounts the most and we can build it from the top down and make the the big accounts like us first and then the smaller ones will follow like there's always like you know in theory there could be a bunch of little mini uh changes versus i haven't had any
0: major well, no,
1: i think there could be some big ones too you might change uh whether you're going to go we were going to go bottles. Now we're going to do cans for our release.
2: Mm-hmm. We've been doing draft
1: only all the time. We're getting ready to do cans. That just was a function of, of what the brewery could best do, what was easiest for us and cost-wise and what's being like cans. I thought cans was going to sort of pass. I think it's a little bit, not necessarily a fad, but it, uh, it just didn't feel as great to me. Mm-hmm. But, but, again, I have to remember – and I think this is a good pivot, certainly for, for a consumer good product, is I'm getting a little bit older, right? Now, cats that are 35 and older, I think think bottles are cool, like, or not cool necessarily, but they fine with bottles of beer because they used to seeing that. Cats that's 35 and under, is like, nah, I really only fuck with cans. Like, that's, right. that's beer, the beers are cool in a can. Like, that's, just, that's what it is now. Um, and I think you got to be able to accept that in the market and know that you might not be your target
2: audience right?
1: mm. your target Audience might be a little bit bigger than you
0: how are yeah. you better doing this market research this is just observing and you oh, te- yeah, yeah you have a team that yeah, kind of help you you know decipher what's going on in the market
1: yeah i mean i think like most entrepreneurs initially i'm my own kind of uh i'm wearing all those hats
2: mm. but
1: starting to fill in the org chart a little bit, but a lot lot of what I'm talking is anecdotal, just being out in the bars and like, you know, I go into bars three, four nights a week. I might sit at a bar and not tell nobody who I am and see how many times they pour in Harlem blue, or I might ask a customer, you know, why you liking that beer? What you doing? And not tell them nothing about what I do just on GP, or I look at social media post this thing on a Sunday night versus a Thursday night or Tuesday morning versus a Thursday morning and just sort of see what clicks, what doesn't click. Like I think you just have to do all that stuff on a regular and you still gotta know that what it is this week might not be what it is a month from now. You know what I mean? Like that's just that's just the life of it. You know, we we we, we become beholden on Instagram and Facebook right now, but you know, tomorrow that shit could change. Like people right. are just trying to figure out that likes don't mean as much as we thought they meant just a year ago. Right. So it was like get me likes, 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 likes. Like, all right. now people are like, yeah, I don't know if I need a whole bunch of likes or a whole right. bunch of followers. I want good. I want good likes. I want good followers. The likes might not be enough. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, I think that you got to be open to pivot. But yeah, I'm trying to elevate that side of my game and, and, you know, really build for growth. The whole org chart, which is putting people in positions. You always want to find your best use. Right as a as a founding CEO, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is what's your best use so Mm -hmm. you're not doing every single job. Like, I could do I could spend four hours preparing samples of beer, putting them in bottles or cans, so that we can go and take them out to to acquire new accounts. That might not be my best use, like just filling up fucking cans and bottles with beer. Like sometimes I got to do that though. So sometimes I got to carry them. Sometimes you got to do whatever. But um, you know, so that's you just gotta find kinda your best play on that. And I think that just comes with time and, and a little bit of money. I mean sometimes that's a money conversation. If I had the money to, to, to hire all those people in theory, I guess it would make a difference too. But um again, I don't I don't think you got time to, to to think about what if sometimes if it if it needs to get done, it needs to get done. Right. Get a broom, grab a broom and get it cracking.
0: How many how many people you have on your team now?
1: Mm. I don't know. I mean, pretty much my whole team is, is a la carte. I just call them where I need them. I got a, I got a creative designer. I got a graphic designer. I've got a brewer, obviously I've got um, a guy for events and I've got a a new marketing group, which is two people, uh, two women that I just brought in. So that's, you know, there's about seven people kind of doing stuff. And we just brought in, Three interns or two and a half interns. One, one, we'll see what's going to happen with her. But, um, so that, and we're trying to bring in another probably four people over the, over the, you know, over the summer, over the next three months. Okay. Uh, so, so that's, that's kind of where we are.
0: So, uh, that's cool. I mean, so in terms of where Harlem Blue is located, um, short here in mm-hmm. Harlem, how many places, how many markets, uh, you know, are they focused mainly in New York or are you, able to
1: yeah we we still just new york and i think we're gonna be only in new york for a couple i would i would guess we're gonna be only in new york for another 12 months uh it it might it might go a little bit more tri-state like jersey and connecticut but they i get asked to come all the time but um i think um a lot of times as a founding entrepreneur you you want so much to not necessarily control it but you want to see it right my my fear has always been if i start putting in other cities like i can't run like i can't run the you know i can run the harlem tavern or corner social i can run the bed vine in brooklyn if i need to or i don't know Butterfunk. like i can go to accounts and go check it out if you know if there was some sort of problem or just to go and just like i said be a fly on the wall and just peek it if it's a if it's a random spot in sound like you're very
0: hands-on bro
1: yeah yeah but i but i need to stop i (laughs) I know so uh, so it'll be it'll be more i think uh i think we we should be in five cities within the next three years how we get there is uh is is a part of our current conversation we're talking with a lot of people including distributors and and the growth plan um for the cans when we start releasing those but uh i uh I'll be excited to talk about that real soon, probably in the fall we'll be able to put some some dates on the calendar of where we uh where we're gonna start doing some some extended
0: launching okay seeing like you got a lot of plans, you know plans for Harlem blue and you're like knee deep yes. in the grind right now so what's uh-huh. your what's your ultimate vision for Harlem blue and you as an entrepreneur uh, in terms of where you wanna be with your family? saying in the next, say, five years?
1: Uh, I mean, the little voice in my head says world domination. So <laughs> I'm going to let that shit out. Like I, you know, I, I came into this with some like to really get at it. So we're going to try and go hard. Uh, with that said, I would love it to be a family-owned business. I already said I got kids. Mm-hmm. I would love it to always have black ownership in Harlem. Um, I would love it to always employ Harlemites. I would love it to always represent the, you know, Harlem soul. Like I, I usually would describe it as something along the lines of a new craft beer company from Harlem, celebrating grinders, hustlers, and dreamers. Mm-hmm. Made special, made special with Harlem soul. Mm. Like, like that's the way I usually think of it, and I wanted to always do that. Now, of course, Harlem as a I don't know, it's a destination is changing and becoming more diverse and, you know, whatever that, that is what it is. You know, that, that's just, that's just the way the world is right now. So be it. Um, But the way I look at Harlem is even more than just the sort of six mile circumference of the, of the, the boundaries at the top of Manhattan or not the top, but you know, uh, upper Manhattan um, that I think there's a, there's a Harlem diaspora, if you will, that goes beyond New York city, even and it's just people that kind of get Harlem, whether you lived in Harlem, know people in Harlem, just kind of dig the the romantic story of the Renaissance era or, or you know, I don't know, some of the politics, or like whatever it is you love about Harlem, the music. Um, and I think that that extends well beyond our borders. And in a weird way, I think that we'll do better outside of New York than inside New York. And so if we could have any, piece of just sort of um, adding to the conversation that we can make shit from Harlem, that we can be artisanal, that we make good quality. I, I think it's established that we um, do hospitality well, right? Mm-hmm. We know Harlem kills it with music performance. We know Harlem kills it with food now, and not only Marcus Samuelson, because he's beautiful and it's fantastic what Red Rooster has done, but we've had you know, significant culinary killers uh for a long time in harlem um and i think that those kind of things are well represented i'd like to be part of an artisanal movement a fabric almost a reawakening of of that kind of thing so if we're doing that in the next couple few years and you know and lending a hand and bringing people up and kind of making that that uh the community more extended that that's what i'm looking for that's that's the goal cool.
0: Sound like you getting ready to take world domination for sure.
1: You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if there's a plan, anyway, we'll see what happens. You know, it's on the chalkboard.
0: Sound like you're gonna have to knock knock on some some banks' doors to get that 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 C money to scale, bro. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. we gonna have to pay for that. Yeah, that's all right. Yep. All
0: right. Well, you seem like you got your pitch down pat, bro. So you know, congratulations, yeah, you're successful you. so far. You know, congratulations! You know, not only as a you know owner Harlem Brew Blue, Harlem Brew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> congratulations mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, because I mean, just hearing you, I didn't really realize that you you did TV production, that you you owned a lounge. You know, I didn't even know you were a lawyer. So yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, You know, you're a man of many well, talents.
1: You know, sometimes when we we outflowing, ain't time for all that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, no, no. It's a uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I don't, I do put in time. We all got stories. That's another thing that I think is beautiful about, uh, you know, you doing the podcast and us, us sort of talking like that. I mean, what I assume. I mean, just knowing you and and the way you introduced the show, like it's about us sharing stories, right? If we're not right, one of the things as a, as a people, certainly as people of color, but just in general, like we need to be sharing more stories because then. Because we all hear a little something from that. You never know who's gonna hear it, how it's gonna connect to them, and, and what's going on. We're doing an event next week, I think, with a with a, a Harlem entrepreneurial alumni group in the, in the city. But like three of the top people in the in the program in the Harlem, I mean Harvard entrepreneurial group or something, um, are people of color. Black folks in, in New York City with really big jobs, doing big things, um, and you know that's kind of why we in New York, right? I mean, the the, the belief is that New York is, is about that hustle and about opportunity and just being around more more people, more diversity, more 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 at bat. Like we all just want more at bat. Yeah, um, man. It, and it adds to our story. So that's uh, that's what we're trying to do.
0: Exactly. I mean, I I believe that there's so many people who have like who are so talented. Who are just afraid to take that leap. You know, so mm-hmm. hearing stories like yours and how you easily transition, no fear. I'm sure you had fear, but you
2: Oh went, yeah, you, of fear. But you went and did it anyway.
0: Jumped, yeah, man, it's yeah, all about taking jumped. that leap, you know. So I feel like there's so yeah, much talent man. that's 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 wasted on working for somebody else and working in corporate America. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with corporate America. Stability is always good, but I feel like if you're talented, right. you're talented. You know, in whatever way, I think the world needs to see that talent and experience that talent. Yeah, so. I mean,
1: you know, you just touching on it. We ain't got time for it. We might have to do a a a part two or some shit on it. But <laughs> I think I talk about this with a lot of people, and I don't. And I want to say up front, I'm not saying this for everybody because I don't. People need to find their gig, like whatever works. If if a gig for a big firm, and we need soldiers on all them walls, you know what I mean? Right. But a lot of times. We spend our best years working for somebody else. Listen, and then, and then they are gonna spit us out, yo, bruh. So you, so let's say late twenties, all your thirties, somewhere else. You hit forty five, and they're like, yo, you know what? We we can't we can't use you no more. And you're like, yo, I'm I'm just getting warmed up. They're like, nah, we got the best out of you. Now you just you know. So that's that's my always biggest problem is like, yo, use your good years if if you that type of person. So right. So that's that's my caveat. It depends on kind of how you built. But, man, use your good years going to get that shit. Like, take a chance.
0: Exactly. And that's what reverse ambition is all about. Um, Just to give you the reason why this is called reverse ambition, reason why I asked you where you went to school and what was your major a lot of times we ended up not doing nothing compared to what we went to school for. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, yeah, real talk.
0: You yeah. know what I'm saying? So you're a great yeah. example of someone who, Paul sign, major law school, and now you're owner of a, your own uh, beer company. So
2: this, yeah.
0: you know you're a great you know you're a great guest, man. Your story is amazing. Thank you, thank okay. you for uh, for sharing it with us. And uh yeah. like I said, good luck, man. Good luck with uh no, scaling the beyond the, the physical boundaries of Harlem. Harlem is everywhere. Harlem is in, in here in DC. Harlem is all over Europe. So, you know, there's a great yeah. opportunity there, man. Nah, good looking.
1: Kelsey, it's always a pleasure, brother. I, I really appreciate you. Appreciate the time and the uh, and the and the light. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see each other real soon.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks again, man.
1: All right. All right.
0: Peace. All right. Peace. Thank you all for tuning into Reverse Ambition Podcast. It is really a pleasure sharing these amazing journeys with you. It may take some time for you to find your purpose and realize your dreams or for your purpose and dreams to find you. When it happens, don't be afraid to pursue them. Be more afraid if you don't. Trust God. Trust your journey. And most important, trust yourself. And it will all work out. Until next time, I am Kelsey Cooper, The Social Broker. Thanks again for listening.